You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. All right, good morning. There's a few more of you here than when I first stood up. So this is great. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for fighting the sunshine today and uh, coming out. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to pull them out or turn them on. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and focusing in on verses 8 through 10. Today we're kicking off a new series on generosity. How many of you, you love when someone's generous in your life? Or maybe you're one of those people who are like, man, I love being generous to people around me. The more I give, the more that I just receive. We're going to be doing this three-week mini-series as we focus in on the generosity of God. Because when we look at the Bible from the beginning to the end, we see this common thread of generosity in Scripture. When we begin in Genesis, we see how God created this amazing world that we live in, and then he made us, and he breathed into us, and then he made us stewards. He entrusted us with, the, with, with his creation because he loved us, just to enjoy it. And then we look through the Old Testament, we see how God, he begins to lead people to these new lands, what he says, a land that I will give you. When we look through the Psalms, we look at this beautiful poetry, how we see David talking about how God will give us the, grant us the desires of our heart as we commit it to him. Then we get to John 3, 16. And what does John 3, 16 say? For God so loved the world that he, he gave. He gave us his only son so that no one should perish. The generosity of God. And then one of the favorite verses that my mom used to always quote to us, one of the verses that she would always say is, she would always say to me, she would say, Dwayne, never forget, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That didn't coincide with me when I was five, because I always loved receiving everything. But she'd always say, never forget, it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, this is the generous nature of God. And I think what my mom was trying to teach me, as all parents try to teach their kids, is that there's this big life lesson that we need to remember And the big life lesson is this. We were not made to keep everything. Do you hear that? We were not made to keep everything. God didn't make us to hoard things and to keep us. But Jesus told us in Luke 6, he said, give and you will receive. Or the King James Version says, give and it will come back to you. Pressed down, shaken about, running over. In other words, the amount that you give will determine the amount that you get back. This is how God made us. God made us to be givers. He flows into our life because he wants to flow through us. But unfortunately, we have this epidemic, I think especially in the, in the Western world, that it's so epidemic that it's even become a reality show, and it's called hoarders. How many of you have heard of hoarding? Okay. Is this your room? I don't know. Hoarding is such a destructive thing, and it's something that continues to grow to where the Mayo Clinic even recognizes it as a disorder. And the reason why they do that is because they they classify it as a disorder, as a dysfunction, because hoarding actually gets you off track with how we were made to be. It actually affects our health. They found that those that hoard, those that they just try to keep everything for themselves, they actually become very lonely and very depressed. One of the things that we try to stay away from. Nobody wants to be lonely. Nobody wants to be depressed. But hoarding actually makes us more lonely, more depressed. It makes us suspicious of others. It makes us worried about, is somebody going to be taking something around me? Am I going to get to a point where I'm not going to have what I need? And even that those who are serious in the hoarding, they find that even financially it affects them. 
that the things that they kept that they thought were of value, it begins to rust, it begins to decay, and it even creates this stench where it's not even hygienic anymore. Many of these homes are even, they're unsafe to be in because you can't even breathe. Isn't that amazing? This is what hoarding does. Think Schmeagle. How many Lord of the Rings fans we have out there, right? Schmeagle, it's, we have this precious thing and it's mine. I'll do anything for it. And it ruins and it wrecks our life. Now contrast this with the way of a giver. Think about somebody in your life that they're always trying to give, that the more that they get, the more they're trying to go through. These are vibrant people. They're healthy and they're alive. And the people in my life that I know that are they're active givers, giving to everybody, whether it's a good word or whether it's helping somebody out, they're vibrant people that are living that John 10 to 10 where they're, they're just, they're, it's life to the full. It's overflowing from them. You can't wait to be around them. They seem to have more friends than they can even handle because they're gracious giving people. See, this is the fullness that God is ca- calling us to. That's why the Bible tells us that the Lord loves what? A cheerful giver. Someone that's, in 1 Corinthians, it goes on to say that they're not being coerced, they're not being manipulated, they're not just giving because somebody got up and said you should be giving, but they're a cheerful giver because they recognize their role and they recognize how God just continually is flowing through their lives. God loves a cheerful giver. And as we look at the kindness of God, and as we look at the love of God and the generosity of our God, we want to begin by looking at the underlining principle of God's love towards us, of God's generosity towards us. Because don't forget, we were made in the image of God. We were made after his image. And what's happening in this underlining principle? It's the underlining principle of grace. Everyone say grace. 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 We're not going to eat, but okay, we're talking about grace today. (laughs) Okay? Can I tell you my dad's favorite grace? This is not my notes. I, I grew up in a home where we always said grace, and a lot of times for grace, we just kind of pray before it, but my dad had all these poems, and one of his favorite was good bread, good meat, good God, let's eat, right? Yeah. He had some others too, but I'll save those for later. Come to the newcomers. I'll share them all with you, okay, if you're new today. <laughs> but we want to look at God's grace, so here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. Can you read this with me? Let's read together. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Long ago. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? God's grace in our life. We need to recapture this as the body of Christ today. We need to capture this doctrine of grace and what it means. Because when you look at the Bible and you look at the life of Jesus, you found that the worst that somebody felt about themselves, when people in that day, when they felt bad about themselves and the worst that they felt, the more they were attracted to Jesus. Now think about that. The woman at the well, Matthew, Nicodemus, the woman caught in adultery. The worse they felt about themselves, the more they felt attracted to Jesus. And that makes me feel convicted. Do you know why? Because so many times the worse that someone feels, it doesn't mean that they feel more attracted to the body of Christ today. Isn't that true? That often sometimes the worse that somebody feels the more hesitant that they are to engage with the body of Christ. 
or they find out that you're a Christian, the worse somebody feels, they don't want you to know about it. But that's not the way we were made. We need to be walking as people who are filled with grace, filled with mercy, that if someone's feeling bad, just like Jesus, they're like, I need to go talk to her. I need to go talk to him. I need to go to Shoreline Community Church because I'm feeling bad about myself, and they're going to help me. They're going to show me the love of God. They may not know what it is, but they want to feel that love from God so that they can get back on track. That's who we were made to be. And my goal in this series is that we will come alive in that and that our community from without as well as from with, if you are going through a hard time, that the worse you feel, the more you want to get here, the more you want to find a Christian because you know if I can find someone who's filled with Christ, I'm going to make it. Amen? Does that resonate in you? Is that one of your goals for this new year? That the worse somebody feels, the more they're attracted to you. You live in that way. If I live in that way, you watch how the world changes around us. And my prayer is that, God, may somebody who's feeling down, may they never be repelled by me. May they be attracted by your Holy Spirit. Is that your prayer to the Lord? Just lift your hands to God if that's your prayer today. And say, God, use me, oh God. Let me be filled with your grace and your mercy so that those who are hurting, those who are suffering, they would be drawn not just to me, but they would be drawn to the Christ who is in me, transforming me and making me alive in you and find healing in you, I pray. Let your grace abound in us, God. We need you. We need you, oh God. So as we go through this, your holy word today, let your grace and your mercy abound. We sing about it. We say your grace is enough. We sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. God, let that sound ring from us. Let that sound ring alive in us, oh God. In Jesus' name, transform us today and fill us with your grace and mercy. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. And I could stop right there and the sermon's done. This is where you applaud. (laughs) It's his grace and his mercy. So let's dive into this today. Let's allow those songs to transform us and come alive as we look at, first of all, what is grace? And then secondly, we dive into what is the purpose of grace? And then the last point, what does grace empower us to do? Amen. You ready to dive into the grace of God today? Let's dive into it. First of all, what is grace? Well, grace is one of the big distinctions of God. And when you look at Christianity, grace is something that sets it apart from every other religious thought that's ever been or ever will be, because this is who God is. You don't find grace alive in a lot of the other religious thoughts throughout the world. Many theologians, they've even cited that at the very center and the very core of the entire Bible is the doctrine of grace. Grace is everywhere through Scripture. See, grace is the opposite of karma. And karma is something that we talk about a lot. Like when somebody, something bad happens to them, what do we say? Well, what goes around comes around, right? We speak karma so naturally, but we forget the grace part. See, karma is all about getting what you deserve. Karma is about placing your own destiny in your own hands. And there's an element of truth in it, because in Galatians, it says what? Whatever we sow, we shall... Man, you guys know your Bible. (laughs) Whatever a person sows, that they will reap. There's a little bit of truth in it. And the truth is this, that we have a responsibility for our actions, don't we? We have a responsibility for our actions. Sometimes we forget that. Think about that every time you tweet or post something to social media. Whatever you tweet, whatever you post, there's a responsibility that's going to come with you in that, okay? We are responsible for it. 
Because if we jump up, what's going to happen if we jump out? We're going to go down. What goes up must come down. What goes up? All right, good. You, you got that, okay? Whatever goes up must come down. But here's the difference with grace. When you come down in grace, God is there to meet you when you come down. In karma, it's like, well, you put yourself there. Enjoy it. But with God, when we come down, grace says that God is going to meet us there. This is the grace of God. See, grace is about getting what we don't deserve, not getting what we deserve. And see, Christianity, Christianity, it reveals what we deserve because we need to be aware of our responsibility. Jesus never backed away from identifying sin in people's lives because there's a responsibility. There's a responsibility, and there's also the desire to get us to stop from hurting others and hurting ourselves. So as we follow Christ, there's this revelation of what we need to get right. There's this revelation of that we owe much more than we could ever repay. We can never pay off the debt of sin in our life. And not only that, we keep getting in more and more and more and more and more debt. We just keep charging that card. But Christianity, it also reveals the answer, which is God's grace. It reveals the debt, what we owe. My sin was so great, there's no way that I could pay it off. But God's grace comes in as the answer. Where else do you get the problem and the answer right together? It's in God's grace. The problem was revealed, but the answer quickly comes in and says, if you will receive it, my grace will abound in your life. See, Paul wrote about this the most. How many of you are familiar with the Apostle Paul? He wrote about it the most. And if you're familiar with the Apostle Paul, you will recognize that if anybody needed grace, if any of the apostles needed grace, it was the Apostle Paul. So he wrote about it all the time. And he mentions this in Corinthians 15 where he says, speaking of himself, he says, For I, Paul, I am the least of all the apostles. Have you ever felt like you were the least? He says, In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it is all because of God who poured out his special favor on me. And not without results, for I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. Paul is saying, look, I used to walk around. I used to go after persecuting, killing, chaining, imprisoning Christians. I was the worst of them all. But then God's grace came into my life, and it changed me. It transformed me. And now it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is the work of grace in our life. But see, we're often confronted by this because there's a myth out there. There's a myth that says good performance equals acceptance. Good performance equals acceptance. How many of your life has been lived that way? If I just perform enough, if I just do enough good things, if I just please people, then I'll be accepted for who I am. You know, even as a kid, I was taught this, okay? Even as a kid, I was taught this. Last of eight kids, and my dad was a salesman, and he would go off and go on these long trips. And I was told before he left, Dwayne, if you're a good little boy... When I come home, I'm going to have a candy bar for you. Little Dwayne loved candy bars, let me tell you. So all week, I'm not saying I was perfect, but I was able to hide the stuff that I did wrong enough, I guess. And, that, and I knew on Friday, I was waiting at the door. When I heard his vehicle pull up, I was there, and my hands were out. Dad, I've been a good boy. I'm ready for that candy bar. So every week, 
I would do my very best. Now, I have an amazing dad. I'm not saying don't reward your kids, okay? Don't worry, guys. I'm going to reward you. But what I'm saying is that we have this mentality that if we just perform well enough, if we just do the right things, if we just please enough people, then I'll be accepted. But see, this formula is destructive because when the formula is good performance equals acceptance, our lives are always hanging in the balance. And that we feel that our acceptance is going to be based on whether we perform well enough. Have you ever been there? You haven't performed well, and then you're like, man, no one's going to accept me, or things are going to be on the line. You never have that firm footing. It can be a destructive force in our life. But see, this whole idea of good performance equals acceptance, this is a commodity-based relationship. It means that if you give me what I want, then I'll accept you. You give me what I want now, just like a vending machine. I pop the quarters in, I'm going to get that candy bar out. As long as you give me what I want, then you're accepted. But the minute you stop producing, the minute you stop doing what I want, what I value as good, then it's over. That's a commodity-based relationship. And see, on the surface, this may seem true, but it's not God's way. This is our verse today that what? Salvation is a gift. It's not based on our good works. No one can boast about it. This is not the formula that God works in. Thank God, okay? Because my vending machine is empty. But God gives it to us as a gift. And I love what Bob Goff says. If you're familiar with Bob Goff's writing, he's just like, he's a super encourager. Here's what he says. Bob Goff says that God makes confetti out of our big plans for self-improvement, and he uses it to celebrate his better plans for grace in our lives. It's a reminder that grace isn't just a means to an end. It is the end. It will be enormous grace, not our big plans that will change the world. Look at that. God takes your big plans for self-improvement, and what does he do? He shreds it up, and he he makes a party out of it. It's just confetti. And it's not our big plans that change the world. It's what? It's the enormous grace that when people are down and out or they're hurting or they've had this horrific or there's guilt coming in their life, they're not repelled by Jesus' followers, but they're attracted because they know there's something there that nobody else has. This is the gift of grace. This is the grace of God that he's pouring into us. So that's what grace is, but we also need to lay hold this morning of the purpose of God's grace. The purpose of God's grace is not just to give it to us, but the purpose of God's grace is to what? Is to transform us. See, the same scripture in Ephesians 2.10, it says that he created us, what? Anew in Christ Jesus. See, it's not about good performance equaling acceptance. It's about the grace of God equating to what? Transformation. The grace of God, it transforms us because God's grace, it grounds us and it empowers everything in a Christian's life. See, grace is the doorway to transformation. When there is grace present, the doors are wide open and God's saying, come on in. Come on in. All ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. I will give you rest. That's why he can say to take his yoke upon him because it's a yoke filled with grace. It's the grace of God alive in us. See, grace, it draws us into God. Here's what Paul said. Remember Paul, the one who said, I'm the least of all the apostles. Paul said this. He said, 
don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? He's like, does this mean nothing to you? He says, can't you see that his kindness, his grace, is intended to turn you from your sin? I love that song that we used to sing way back in the early 2000s. Remember that? (laughs) It's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. Your favor, Lord, I desire. It's a song all about how that grace, that mercy, it just draws us in. It draws us in. It's It's that doorway. See, God invites us in by His grace. But then the transformative nature of grace, it guides us into the transformative power of God. When you stand in God's presence, aware of his presence, when you walk through the door that God opens, you're you're never the same again. How many have experienced that? You've experienced the grace of God, he opens it, and he invites you by his grace. God's saying, come on in. He doesn't say, clean up. I've heard people say before, you know what? Uh, I'm too messed up to go to church. And for me, I'm going... Well, it's because I'm so messed up that I'm going to church. (laughs) It's because I have such great need that I'm going to church. We don't wash up before we come and connect with the body of Christ. We go and we connect with the body of Christ whose goal is to encourage us in the things of God, and then God cleans us up. Then God makes us anew. That's what God does. But it's only as we allow this grace. When we have grace in our life, we're opening the door and saying, Here's God. He's ready to clean you. He's ready to accept you. He's ready to love you. He's ready to transform you as you surrender to him. This is what grace is. But there's also a warning in Scripture, a warning that we need to be careful in our understanding of grace. Because, see, we need to understand that grace is not just an escape plan. How many of you have ever been this young girl trying to climb out a window here? Or a young man trying to climb out a window? See, there have been times in my life when people have found out that I'm a Christian, they've, they've said things like, well, Christianity is just a crutch. It's just an escape hatch. It's just a way of kind of getting away from everything. Which my response was, it's not a crutch. Christianity is a jetpack on my back. <laughs> it propels me. It enables me. Grace is not about crawling out of a window. Grace is not about just having this escape plan. Grace is not about justification for our behavior. Let me say this. Grace is not there to empower your narcissism. God didn't give us grace so I can be a narcissist and go, I'm living in grace, I can do whatever I want. Right? This is what Paul said. Paul said this. He said, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. See, it's not just an escape hatch for us. He says earlier in verse 6, he says, Well then, should we go keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? No, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? The point is not to sin all the more so that grace may abound. There's plenty of grace. He's saying that grace is meant to empower us. See, a selfish life is not a gracious life. Because if we are just escaping, we will always be on the run. We'll always be looking for a window to escape. This is the look of somebody trying to get away with something. This is the look of somebody who's trying to be rescued that they haven't been rescued yet. This is the look of somebody that they're just trying to get out of the way before anyone sees them. That's not what grace is. 
Grace is a door that says, welcome home, not go away. It is not an escape hatch for us. See, grace is freedom. Grace is freedom from bondage. And grace is the path into a new life with God. See, grace, it doesn't remove the law of gravity in our lives, like I was saying earlier, because if we jump, we're still going to come down. What goes up must come down. But again, grace is the acknowledgement that when we come down, that God is there to meet us because grace, it redeems us and it empowers us to take the right path, the better path, and to no longer fall into the trap of sin. So that sin is no longer our master. Verse 15 of that same chapter, chapter 6, it says, Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize... And listen to this. Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? Whatever you choose to obey, you will become a slave of. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Who do you want to serve? God leads to righteous living. It's that freedom that grace affords. Here's what Paul is saying in all of that. Paul is saying that freedom from sin is an evidence of God's grace in our life. Living that free life is the evidence of God's grace because God's grace is alive in us. It's alive in us. It's at work. God's grace, it reveals in us who we are following. You see somebody that is filled with the grace of God, you're looking at a Christ follower right there. And I can say this without fail. I love the saints in our church. How many of you appreciate the saints in our church? Those that they've, li- they've lived a life for the Lord and now they're pointing the way and mentoring them. I thank God for all of you. I, I saw Dick and Dottie at the YMCA on Friday. <laughs> you know, I, and, I, and I saw them, my heart just leapt just seeing. It encourages me. Because these are people that welcome. They're filled with the grace of God. They're encouraging others. See, Paul is saying that there's no way that we can live without grace. God's grace, it is the basis for our identity. It's the basis for our standing before God. It's the basis for our behavior, for our living, for our holiness, for our strength, for our sufficiency, our response in difficulty and suffering. And grace is the basis for our future. It provides everything that we need. There is no way that we can live without grace. See, our hope beyond death is dependent on grace. Romans 5 says that grace reigns through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And one of the things I love about grace is that grace makes our accuser speechless. When you're living in grace, what can be said to you? How many of you have accusers in your life? How many is a voice in your head that's always condemning you, that's always trying to point out all the bad things that are there? When grace is at work in your life, it renders your accuser speechless. Because here's what Paul said. I love Paul, and Paul wrote about this a lot, so we're just going to quote him. Romans 8, it says, If God is for us, then who can be what? Against us. Since he did not even spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. And then Paul says, who then will condemn us? No one. 
For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. So in other words, you got accused of your life, you stand in grace, and you just go shut it. <laughs> I'm standing in grace. I'm filled with the power of God. There's nothing that you can say. Have I done things in the past that were wrong? Have I sinned? Yes, I have, but I'm standing in grace. It's done to God, and God controls everything, and you don't. This is who God is. This is who God is in our life. When we know what grace is, when we understand this purpose of grace being that transformative work in our lives, do you know what grace then does in us? Grace that empowers us to be generous. Grace empowers generosity. When we are transformed into the image of God, brought back to that masterpiece, restored, we take on that generous nature of God. And in the generous nature of God, the more we receive, the more that we want to what? Give. That's what makes sense when my mom said to me, Dwayne, is more blessed to give than to receive. When I was young and immature, I didn't understand that. But the more I grew and the more I began to be filled with the power of God, the more I found this power being alive. See, grace, it makes us active in God's mission. Because as recipients of grace, we now serve as agents of His grace. We're called to testify to the grace of God. And see, as much as we want to talk about it today, and as much as I want to get up here, I'm going, God, I pray that they will just know, they will understand what your grace is, because I feel like so many times we don't understand what it is. Philip Yancey talks about that grace is something that as much as you want to talk about it, it can be difficult to talk about. Because sometimes we want to treat it like that, that frog in biology class. How many people you have been through biology class, right? You, and you get a frog out, and you stretch it out, you know, and you start dissecting it, and... There are some people in the room, they love it, and other people are repulsed by it, and others are picketing, you know, the frogs, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but after you dissect the frog, I've never had a teacher say, now put it back together and bring that frog back to life. The frog's done. And you can't even eat it because it's filled with formaldehyde and all kinds of other stuff, right? Hey, nothing like a good frog leg. The more you dissect it, you got to be careful because sometimes it can fall apart in front of you and the grace is gone from it because we've explained it to death. See, grace is something we were meant to experience. It's like love, isn't it? You can try to describe it all you want. But God is love and he wants us to experience him. God wants us to experience who he is. He wants us to experience his love. He wants us to experience his grace. Grace is something that we experience with God and something as we're generous we experience here with each other. Have you ever been the recipient of grace in your life? Have you ever looked at somebody and prayed, God, help me to give grace to this person in my life? (laughs) And then as you give grace, you start to see this growth take place. You start to see this transformation take place as you pour grace and you're like, wow, this really works. This is the power of grace in our lives. We experience it. We do what it says in 1 Peter, that we serve one another as stewards of God's grace. We're called to be stewards of God's grace. God pours into us. He's saying, now, go give it. You receive my grace as it's been given to you. Now you start giving it to other people. See what will happen. 
See, receiving always has the responsibility of giving. Jesus said, to whom much has been given, much is required. To whom much has been given, much is required. And this is one of those things that you want to see something light you up in this year. You want to see something light you up this week. You start praying, God, let me be filled with your grace. And let me be generous in giving that grace to other people. Again, it's not a justification for what they've done. That's not how God treats us. But it's a doorway to forgiveness. It's a doorway to transformation that opens up. And God's saying, will you just open the door? Allow the grace flowing through your life to open the door to the people in your life that they need to experience it. See, we receive it in order to give. And grace only grows as we give it away. What happens if we hoard it? It rots. It dies. It's like a frog on the table, right? Just dissect it and there's nothing there. We don't hoard this. We don't keep this. We give it away. We give it away. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 18. In Matthew 18 with the parable of the unforgiving debtor. Do you remember that that parable? Right? There were two people. There was a man who owed the king like over a million dollars in our currency today. Can't even imagine it. Owed over a million dollars, and the king brought him before him and said, your account's payable, it is due. The man begged and pleaded for mercy, and the king gave him mercy and said, you know what? I'm going to forgive you of your debt. A million dollars. Especially in that day, when you owed somebody, your family was held liable. There was a lot at risk But the king graciously said, I will forgive you. So the man being filled, being the recipient of grace, instead of going out and sharing that grace, he went and found somebody who only owed him like a thousand or a couple thousand dollars in today's currency. And he grabbed him by the collar and he said, pay up, you owe me. And when the man couldn't pay, the one who had just received forgiveness of the million dollars, he had that man put in jail. It's tragedy, isn't it? Do you know what that story was initiated by? It was initiated by Peter going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive somebody? Have you ever asked that? <laughs> how many of you have people in your life like, God, how many times do I need to forgive them? And Peter, being gracious, he looked at Jesus and said, do I forgive them seven times? See, in that day, the rabbis said that you had, it was, you had to forgive somebody three times. If you forgive somebody three times, you are an amazing person. And there have been times in my life when I forgave someone three times, and I'm like, I'm a pretty good guy. You ever felt that way? I forgave you three times! And you still haven't come back to say thank you. So Peter said, you know what? I'm going to double it and add one. Jesus, seven times! And Jesus looked at him and said, seven times, no. Remember what he said? He said, 70 times seven. (laughs) Can you imagine? You think you're being generous, and Jesus is saying, no, 70 times seven. And what he's saying, in other words, he's saying, it's endless. He's saying, we don't keep track. We don't keep an account of people's wrongs. We continue to pour grace in them. He's saying, Peter, this is not how it's done. You've been forgiven us so much. The whole point of that parable was to say, you know what? In your life, God has forgiven you millions of dollars. How many of you say, yep, that's been me? I'm raising both my hands and a foot, okay? God has forgiven me. 
God has forgiven me of so much. Who am I to go to somebody else and say, pay up? Who am I not to give grace to someone's life when I know what's been happening? Because see, when I'm aware of how much God has forgiven me and how much grace he's poured in my life and the blessings that he's brought into me by my family, by the community of Christ here at Shoreline Community Church, by the wonderful city that I get to walk through, blessings upon blessings upon blessings, none of it I deserve. Who am I not to give grace to somebody? Who am I not to forgive somebody? Have they wronged me? Yes. Have I wronged other people? It doesn't take away responsibility when I forgive somebody. But who does the transformative work in someone's life? Is it me or God? So who are you going to trust, me or God? That should be the easiest question of the day. (laughs) Who do you trust more, me, Dwayne, or God? God. God knows everything. He sees everything, and he's out to transform people's lives. But the door of grace, it opens up. It's not a cheap grace. It's not a shallow grace. But it's a grace that welcomes people to transformation as they kneel before God and say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Please forgive me, Lord. Fill my life with your spirit. I confess my sin to you. Now transform me. And the Bible says that when we do that, God is faithful. He is just to pour into us. And watch how he'll make a world changer out of you. I believe that's part of the reason why Paul was so powerful. He knew how far from God he got. And for him, he thought he was actually serving God. He thought he was doing the will of God. And then when Jesus met him, when he experienced the power of Christ, everything changed. (laughs) And he went, my God, my God, you've given me so much. I'm going to give. I'm going to pour. I'm going to bring it. Did the apostle Paul ever fall? Yeah, he made mistakes. But who was there to meet him every time he fell? God and his grace. Jesus, that's, that's a good answer too. God and his grace. Jesus there to pick him up. When you live in grace, every time you fall, you got your big daddy there. <laughs> your heavenly father, your good father, filled with grace to pick you up. See, when grace is alive in our lives, We are excited to share it. We're excited to share it. We know what it is, but we've experienced it. We've allowed grace now to come in and to transform us. Because sometimes we need grace not just from other people, but sometimes we need grace from ourselves. How many of you would say, the biggest accuser in my life is me? The biggest one shouting in my ear is me, but all the things I've done wrong, or I can't do this, and I'm worthless, and I'm all that. You need to allow grace to silence your own voice that we talked about and to say, you know know what? It's the grace of God. You need to hear God speaking to you and saying, you're my masterpiece. You're my masterpiece. You're my child. Let me make you anew. The old things are passed away. All things become new. All things become new. And as as the worship band comes back to lead us in this wonderful song that talks about this today, I'd like for everyone just to kind of close their eyes and just... Just give a minute. Give a moment this morning. And I want you to ask ask the Lord this question. Say, Lord, where do I need grace in my life? Where is grace absent? Just speak that to the Lord and just listen. Have that posture of speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Allow his Holy Spirit this morning that wants to do this work in your life. He wants to do this work of grace to empower you this morning.
and to use you for his glory. Ask the Lord that. Ask the Lord, Lord, am I operating in grace or am I operating in karma where I give people what they deserve? Or sometimes I don't receive it because I, I know I don't deserve it. Do that work. Ask yourself, are the effects of grace, are they evident in your life? Examine yourself and say, is grace evident? Am I giving generous grace to others? Am I giving it to my family? Am I giving it to my children? Am I giving it to the people I work with? Am I giving grace to the people that pass on the street? Some, I don't know their story, but sometimes yet I judge them, and I don't even know them. Where is that amazing grace that has a sweet sound? Lord, let that grace ring from us today. Let that grace ring from us. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand today as we just have this response to the Lord. We have several ways of, of responding, and um, I love this. Maybe your response today is just to come up and take communion. We offer communion here every week because your pastor needs it. <laughs> I need that reminder of the body that was broken for me and the blood that heals me is poured. And maybe you as an individual or you with a friend or you as a family, you're like, let's go around the table and let's receive these visual representations of the grace of God, his body that was broken for you before you received him and the juice that represents his blood. Or as an individual and in groups, go to our prayer walls and just write up where you need grace where you need to give grace. Just write your prayer to the Lord. Or maybe you just want to turn to the person next to you and just, just, just pray together. Say, would you pray for me today? Would you help me today? I'm struggling today. Maybe the Lord is prompting your heart to turn to the person next to you and say, can I pray for you today? Can I encourage you today? But let's take some time to respond. There's a responsibility of response to the word of God. Allow the Lord to move in you that his grace would abound. Amen. Lord, we receive your grace now. We lift our hands as a sign of being open to receive from you and not just to receive to be hoarders, but Lord, to receive so that we can give, that your grace and your love and your mercy can flow through us, transforming us and transforming our communities as a gift from a generous God. And everyone said together, amen. Let's take a few moments to respond to his word today. Thank you.